Hello again, fight fans, and welcome to the Neutral Corner, episode number 147, TNC 147, for the week of November 17th. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. We got a lot to get into. There was a lot of great action last week, some good stuff coming up this week to preview. Before I get into news and notes, let's get to the fee for episode number 147, and I got a different one for you guys this week, okay? Last week, I talked with the folks at Thompson Boxing Promotions. Now, you guys know that I called a fight for them uh, last or this May, just so, just, I don't know, about six months ago. And I covered for Steve Kim on that night, called fights with Beto Duran. Steve Kim just announced that he has a deal with ESPN. And part of that, I think down the road will be him being involved in some of their broadcasts, whether it's on the ESPN Plus app or something like that. Right now, he's just writing with them and, and doing some other work for them. But down the line, I think he'll be calling some fights or be involved to some capacity with their shows and fight cards. That means that he had to stop doing the Thompson boxing cards. So they kind of have a uh, open spot in their rotation for calling the action. I talked to Alex Campanueva last week, who is uh, part of Thompson Boxing. In fact, I think he is the general manager slash matchmaker for Thompson Boxing. And I told him, hey man, you know, my services are available. He said, absolutely, we'll get you in the schedule uh, for one of the cards coming up in 2019. We'll get you back in the rotation. Here's what I would like you guys to do this week, all right, as the fee for this episode. I would like you guys to tweet Thompson Boxing. I would like you to contact them via email. You can go to their website, go to their Facebook page, but really, really blow them up on Twitter and just put in a good word for me and say, hey, we want to see Michael Montero back on air. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a pinned comment with their Twitter link, their Facebook link, you know, all their different social media links. I would like you guys to blow them up, whether it's tweeting at them whether it's uh, DMing them, whatever it is, just put in a good word for me. That is what I would like you guys to do for this episode, okay? And also, as always, please visit us on patreon.com slash Montero Unboxing. Um, anything you guys could do to spread the word on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, of course, the YouTube channel, please do so. But this week, fee for 147 of TNC blow up Thompson Boxing, tell them you want to see Michael Montero back on a broadcast calling the fights, all right? Thank you very, very much, guys, in advance. Let's get to news and notes. Okay, so a little bit of sad news we're going to start with uh, this week with news and notes. And there was something that happened a couple of weeks ago and I hesitated to talk about it right at the time because... Uh, I was a little pissed off about it. But Italian boxer Christian Daggio died. Uh, he had a fight in Thailand. This is back on October 26th. And it was a 12-round fight. It was a long, grueling kind of fight. Goes down in the 12th round. And uh, the damage that he suffered, I think he was placed in a medically induced coma. The damage that he suffered in that fight ultimately took his life. Now, we see boxers die all the time. Nothing new, right? But this man was 49 years old. You'd think at 49 years old, you're thinking, man, this guy, how many fights has he had? This was only, I believe, his 11th pro fight. 
He went pro in 2015 at the age of 46. Daggio was born in 1969. 1969. I believe he was a Muay Thai fighter and he had a very, very uh, good career. I think he was a Muay Thai fighter and uh, did very well and then wanted to get into boxing and loved doing it, loved what he was doing. His brother was even quoted as saying, you know, my brother died doing what he loved to do. Uh, he'd have it no other way other than to die into the ring. And I, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically, you know, the sentiments that they expressed. And this was technically his first loss as a boxer. The guy's at 49 years old in, in a, a nondescript fight over in Thailand, a nondescript card over there. Should a 49-year-old man be fighting? And I, I don't know, what kind of medical clearance did they have over there? I, I'm not sure. Maybe some of you guys from Thailand can, can uh, tell me, can, can jump in and let me know, uh, or provide some links or something to the commission over there. Because I'm curious what kind of medical tests, you know, what kind of brain scans and everything that they were doing for a 49-year-old man that was fighting. Now look, we've seen guys in their 40s, in their late 40s, fighting very, very late. Hopkins fought way late and did fairly well, although it was a devastating end to his career with that knockout to Joe Smith Jr., which I was 10 feet, 20 feet from where that knockout took place. It happened right in front of me, and I heard his head smack off the concrete. Uh, there at the arena when he was knocked out of the ring by Smith. So who knows how, what kind of health effects, you know, the last few years of his career uh, had on him. But that's Bernard Hopkins. That's an all-time great. George Foreman, you know, guys like that. These are all-time greats. Christian Daggio. I, I just don't know, you know, how many, and, and look, I've seen countless guys at gyms sparring and carrying on at that age, 40s, 50s, and slurring their speech, having you know uh, slow motor skills, guys picking up spit buckets and whatnot, and it takes all of their energy and coordination. It's 30 seconds for them to squat down and pick up a spit bucket, and you know carry it to the bathroom and dump it in the sink, like that kind of shit's sad. So never would I want to get in the way of somebody who's able-bodied and tell them, hey man, you can't do this. Like, you're not allowed to do this. It, it may be Christian Doggio was in perfect health and this was just a freak accident. I just, he was fighting a journeyman level fighter and to, to go down the way he did and to be basically carried out of the ring. I mean, there, you guys, I'm, I'm sure if you guys know about the story, you've seen the pictures or the video of him just lying there, uh, non-responsive in the ring with the referee like cupping his head uh, it's, a, it's a haunting image, and I have to think that there is some damage that this man had incurred over the years going into this fight. That's generally speaking how these sorts of injuries work. So we have to do a better job. We just have to do a better job globally in the sport. There are too many ring deaths, and it's, it's a, a tragedy when you have a freak accident and a kid who's 25 or something dies in the ring. We see that. But when you see a guy who's 49, I mean, clearly this could have been prevented if there would have been stricter testing, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. Uh, so let me know what you guys think about that. But, you know, rest in peace to Doggio and thoughts with his family. Uh, that's, that's a tough, tough thing, man. Just really, really brutal.
just the most brutal of sports, right? That's what they say. And so sticking with that sad news, let's, let's talk about some boxers behaving badly. I'm not going to spend too much time on this because these guys have just turned out to just basically be scumbags. Uh, Jermaine Taylor arrested. Apparently he violated the terms of his bail. You know, it's not even worth me getting into the details on this here. Jermaine Taylor is very troubled and there are issues there. I think he clearly shows the signs of CTE and um, there's just no checks and balances there for the guy. I think it's very likely he's going to die in jail or die in the street. That's what I predict for Jermaine Taylor, who on paper, you go back 10, 15 years, this guy had it all. Millionaire, titles, from a little town, Little Rock in Arkansas, right? Probably the most important sports figure, at least at that time, you'd think, to ever come out of that city, out of that area. And look how it's turning out for him. And then also Cuban, three-time gold medalist in the Olympics, Cuban Felix Savan. Apparently he's in jail for being accused of raping a 12-year-old boy. Not a 12-year-old girl, not an adult. We're talking a 12-year-old, a minor, and a boy. And apparently this isn't the first time he's been accused of such crimes. And the accusation is that the government there covered this stuff up because Felix Saban is one of the all-time great amateur boxers and one of the best, perhaps the best athlete in the history of Cuba, in their, their program there, that communist program. And just to save face, they kind of covered this up and let it happen. That's, that's the accusation. And now there's more and more information leaking out that this was a chronic issue with this dude. So more to come on that. All right, let's talk about some good news, damn it. Fight's coming up December 8th. I told you guys this is going to happen. This will probably be the last uh, HBO boxing card, at least for a while. And I'm sure HBO might have a one-off here and there, but they've lost their biggest star, Canelo Alvarez. They're about to lose their biggest star, Gennady Golovkin, uh, the biggest star after Alvarez. And uh, Bevel and all those guys, I can't talk much about it, but those guys at main events, they're leaving... HBO soon as well. So um, more to come on that. But December 8th, HBO, StubHub Center, Roman Gonzalez and Cecilia Brekus will be fighting uh, on that card. And you look, the war grounds at StubHub Center, Roman Gonzalez has fought there on those Superfly cards. Uh, Cecilia Brekus, she's been on HBO now before. So, um, you know, overall, not a bad card. Very, very cheap and affordable for HBO. And they can go out on a female, you know, showing the, the most accomplished female fighter in the world. I know that that makes, you know, Jim Lampley and Max Kellerman very, very happy. It makes them feel like they did a good deed before they bow out. So good for them. Also, it's Errol Spence and Mikey Garcia getting closer and closer. They now have a venue that is signed, sealed, delivered for March 16th, AT&T Stadium, where the Dallas Cowboys of the NFL play. They're good for March 16th. We know it'd be Showtime pay-per-view. So the network is locked up, the site and the date locked up. The fighters still have not signed. So apparently they're still working out some items, but it really, really looks like we're gonna get that fight, barring some sort of freak incident or something, March 16th in Dallas. And I'm telling you guys, call me crazy, maybe I'm just losing my mind here. There's just something, 
for the life of me, I cannot understand why Mikey Garcia and his family have such a hard-on for Errol Spence. He's not the biggest name in the welterweight division. And in my opinion, he's not, at least you know, on the surface, he's not the easiest fight. To me, a guy like Keith Thurman, who's really chronically inactive, who's in and out of the ring all the time, uh, but has titles and is undefeated and is the biggest, most accomplished name, at least on the PBC side, uh, in the division. That is where you would go. That's the dude you'd be calling out. That would make more sense. But they're calling out Errol Spence. And to me, Spence isn't as big of a name as Thurman is, probably doesn't bring as much money, and he's a tougher fight. So they have to know something. Now, I've heard some rumors about Spence. You guys have seen some video of him getting a little crazy and wild with Adrian Broner and a couple of the other PBC guys. Uh, I can't remember what card it was. Maybe it was a Deontay Wilder card. I can't remember off the top of my head, but just acting a little crazy, looking like they were drunk. Can't, you know, I can't confirm that, but it seemed like maybe they were a little tipsy, a little intoxicated. So, so maybe Garcia's team has heard something about them drinking a lot. Maybe there's some partying too much. I, I honestly don't know, but why the hell would they go after this fight? It just doesn't make sense to me unless they know something we don't. That to me is why you go after a fight like this. And it's happened many, many times before in boxing history. So I'm starting to lose my mind and think Garcia has a chance in this fight. Call me nuts. But I mean, it's going to Texas and that's where Spence is from. He's from Dallas. So I mean, that stacks the odds against Garcia even more. So clearly I'm losing my damn mind. Anyway, that is it with news and notes this week. Let's get into the review of what we saw in the ring last week. Thursday, November 8th at the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California. Golden Boy Promotions on ESPN2. And in the main event, Jesus Soto Carras pulls a minor upset, I guess you could call this with the majority decision over Nico Messias, the rooster, who suffers his first loss as a pro. This was an action fight, a lot of two-way action back and forth. Saw a picture of Soto Carras uh, after, like a couple days after, and his face was swollen up really, really bad. So he definitely took some punishment in this fight from the younger guy. But in the end, wins, the scores were 97-93, 96-94, and 95-95. One judge had it even, so that's a majority decision win for Soto Carras, who improves to 29-13-4, promises this will be the last fight of his career. I hope it is. The dude's been in some absolute wars, has uh, nothing to be ashamed of. He's headlined some, some smaller cards like this for Golden Boy that have always done good crowds. He's a beloved figure in the Los Angeles area with the, with the Mexican-American fans around there because he's put on so many great action fights like this. So this dude will never pay for a beer for the rest of his life in Los Angeles, in and around you know, Southern California. This dude ain't gonna pay for a beer for the rest of his life. The fans love him. He should walk away right now off of this win. Also on this card, Manny Robles III Improved to 17-0, still an undefeated prospect that had a little bit of a scare. Split decision win over Mexican Jose Santos Gonzalez. A really close fight and just eked it. So 
he had a scare in his fourth pro fight, Robles did. He had a uh, split decision win in his fourth pro fight, was dropped in that fight. But he's looked dominant since. And uh, a little bit of a slip here, split decision. So um, we'll see what happened. You know, and you just never know. Sometimes you have an off night. Sometimes the styles don't work. Sometimes you had trouble making weight. There's a million things. He, he might have been sick. You know, there might have been a, a nagging injury. He couldn't get as much road work in. We'll see what happened there. But uh, he escapes with a split decision, and he stays undefeated as a prospect. Friday at the Forum in Los Angeles, technically in Inglewood, which is a suburb of Los Angeles, it was the contender finale. I think this was season five of the contender. This was on Epics, a network that almost nobody has. They also streamed it live on Twitter. And in the contender finale, 29-year-old 20, Los Angeles middleweight Brandon Adams improves to 21-2 with 13 knockouts, scoring a unanimous decision over Shane Mosley Jr. in a 10-round fight. This was pretty much a domination. The scores were 99-91, and two judges had it a shutout, 100-90. I thought it was a shutout. You know, I, I looked at this just looking at the contender and where it started and where it's gone to. I'm glad the contender came back. I think it's a, it's a good outlet for some boxers to get some exposure, but man, I just went to their Twitter page. Right now as I'm recording this, the, the contender Twitter page has 3.4 thousand followers. So you think, again, the, the original, the contender series, I want to say it was on NBC. I think it was NBC. And they had huge names attached to it. But they did not invest in their product. And they did not have a long-term game plan. And very, very soon it was off major network TV and it was on these minor networks. And then it went away for a while. But their Twitter has 3,400 followers. They only follow 41 people. And I looked at the people that they follow. They don't follow media guys. They've tweeted at me before, but they don't even follow a guy like me, let alone some of the bigger names in, in the business that, you know, talk about boxing, talk about boxers, guys who have podcasts, things like that. A, a small little Twitter page like that should be following four or 5,000 people. They follow 41 people. And it's just kind of sad, man. The tweet announcing the winner, Brandon Adams, again, at might have more, you know, by the time you guys hear this. But at the time I'm recording this, it has 37 retweets. 37 retweets. Guys, I tweeted about the, the scores the other day for Usyk and, uh, and Bellew because I thought the scorecards were atrocious at the time of the stoppage. It has over 200 likes. It has 74 retweets right now. I'm just looking at my Twitter page. And I'm not saying, like, that's this impressive number. But... I have more followers. I'm following 20 times the amount of people the contender page is. My, my tweets get twice, three times the retweets and likes that theirs do. That's not right. And it just, smaller platforms, smaller promoters, smaller um, cards, things. You have to promote your damn product. And there's free promotion on social media. And it, for the life of me, I cannot understand why these guys don't get that. I, I just don't get it. And in the, 
main event of this you know contender finale you had two guys from la or the la area you had one guy who was born of boxing royalty shane mosley jr not the best fighter in the world but that name so you're you're tied to shane mosley an all-time great you know hall of fame level fighter man this this should have just been a bigger event than it was so uh, just a little disappointed in that when, when you consider where that whole thing started and where it got to. Anyway, Saturday, November 10th, we had action all over the world. Let's start in Gliwice, Poland, where Arthur Spilka barely, narrowly, narrowly, narrowly beats Marius Vok by split decision. Uh, Spielka improves to 22-3. Vok drops to 33-4. The scores were 97-93, 95-94, and one judge had it 96-93 for Vok. Most people seem to feel that Spielka just edged it and that 95-94 score was the correct mark. He was dropped in this fight. He was hurt. He looked out on his feet at one point. He had to dig deep and survive. He did, to his credit, but uh, for Vak, who you just saw against, what, Jarrell Big Baby Miller, and you saw how Miller, who's much, much bigger and stronger than Spielka, uh, and more skilled, I would say, and more relaxed in the ring, but not that much more skilled than Spielka. The way he was able to just handle and dominate Vak, and then by Spielka, you know, there were times where Vak looked fast and athletic against Spielka, so... I don't know, man. I don't know what's happened to Spielka. I don't know if that huge knockout to Wilder going back a few years just kind of just ended him. I'm not sure. But I thought Spielka would clearly win that fight. But it was very, very close and competitive. Some people have talked about doing a rematch. Hey, man, you want to do a rematch in Poland? Why not? It makes sense. It was a really, really good fight that was very close. Here in the USA in Miami, there was an integrated sports pay-per-view uh, Yoriokis Gamboa and Juan Manuel Lopez both scored unanimous decision victories over 10 rounds. They both fought in 10 rounders. Both scored knockdowns in their wins, looked pretty good, and they say they will face each other next. So, um, you know, down in Miami, you got a Cuban, Puerto Rican fighting, makes sense. I don't love that it was on a pay per view. I think that was a mistake. But I think that if they fight each other down there in Miami again, you know, They'll do pretty well with that, at least locally, with the promotion. Speaking of Puerto Ricans, Felix Verdejo improves to 24-1, 16 knockouts, scored a KO2 win in Puerto Rico, completely off TV. So, uh, you know, maybe he can work his way back and get that hunger back. Looked really, really good, but he was in there with an opponent that he was supposed to look good against. Now let's go over to the UK in Manchester Arena, where it was matchroom. Card from Eddie Hearn and Matchroom on Sky Box Office over there, on the zone over here. And in the main event, well, real quick, let me hit on the undercard. Anthony Crawler gets a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Daoud Yordan. Ricky Burns gets a TKO3 win over Scott Cardle. Scored a really, really great knockdown there. Uh, drop dude, and the fight was over. Josh Kelly, dominant in a TKO1 win. And they're talking about David Avenesian next for him. So we'll see. I think David Avenesian would be a great step-up fight for Josh Kelly. That's the name being thrown around. All in all, the undercard, 
Maybe it was just the co-main between Carlo and Jordan. Uh, just to me, it was a, it just lacked buzz. It just wasn't the cracking undercard that uh, you'd hope for. Some good fighters on there, you know, so, some entertaining action here and there. To me, the co-main was underwhelming, though. But the main event, really, really good fight. Oleksandr Usyk improves to 16-0 with 12 knockouts, stops Tony Bellew in the eighth round, who drops to 33-1, and and says that this is it for him. It's a wrap. He's going to retire. And, you know, he was emotional after this fight. He was uh, clearly in tears in the, in the corner right after the stoppage. And I understand that. He really wanted to win, but he has absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. He, he put up a very, very spirited effort, a proud fight, and he can absolutely walk into the sunset here uh, with his head held high. This was, in some ways, much like the way Vladimir Klitschko walked into the sunset after his loss to uh, Anthony Joshua. Although that fight was much more competitive, I had Klitschko ahead at the time of the stoppage there. This fight was a different story. But, you know, I talked about these fighters last week on uh, TNC in the preview. I talked about these guys being basically the same size. Bellew has been fighting above 200 pounds for a minute and, you know, sparring bigger, heavier guys. And I think that early on, at least, he was comfortable with Usyk's size and power, but Usyk's punches were very, very sharp, and he was doing very, very well with the jab. And I thought winning the fight and ultimately controlling the fight off the jab. And I'll talk about punch numbers in just a second here. But um, the jab was softening Bellew up, and then Usyk's sneaky power started to take over from the fifth round on. I thought that the first four rounds, I had them split. I had this an even fight after four rounds. Bellew looked a little, or I'm sorry, Usyk looked a little tight to me. This was the biggest stage he's ever fought on as a pro. And there's huge business in that market over there in the UK down the line. But he had to win this fight. And he had to look impressive. And he knew it. And I think, not that he was, um, you know, taken by the moment, but he just looked a little tense to me. But by the fourth, fifth round, he was in a very good rhythm. Bellew was doing little things to try to steal rounds and steal sections of rounds. And it worked for him over the first three, four rounds. But Usyk had it figured out by the fifth round. I thought from the fifth round on, Usyk was coasting. And the last couple rounds, he was really, really starting to beat up Bellew. In a sneaky, um, I don't want to say underwhelming, but it, it wasn't... It wasn't clear to everybody, but if you go back and watch the last few rounds of that fight before the stoppage and just really clearly look at the fighter's body language and the way they moved, you can see that Bellew knew and Usyk knew who was in charge of that fight from the fifth round on. And I talked about that during my live fight party, which by the way, was an absolute freaking blast. Hope you guys had fun. Uh, Tiff and I had a great time doing it. But okay, I wanted to talk about punch numbers real, real quick because and again, punch numbers, not the end-all be-all, but they do often give a glimpse into a fight that sometimes some of you may have not realized because I had Usyk up five rounds to two after seven rounds. And I could see where perhaps uh, I thought four rounds to three for Usyk, that was fine too. If you could give Bellew three rounds, I could live with that. 
but I, I think that'd be if you were favoring value a lot. I try not to score even rounds if I can. There are times where an even round is justified. In some of those early rounds, perhaps you could score even. But I just thought Usyk clearly won four, if not five, of those first seven rounds. However, at the end of the fight, or I'm sorry, going into the eighth round, which was the end of the fight, it became the end of the fight, two of the official judges had Bellew ahead. Now, Steve Gray of the United Kingdom, no surprise there, he had Bellew up four rounds to three, 67-66, going into the eighth round, which is just a terrible score. I, I, what four rounds do you give? Ten, remember, 10-9 now, or maybe he had one round even, but what four rounds do you give Bellew in the first seven? I just don't see that. But surprisingly, Alejandro Lopez, a Mexican judge, had it 68-65, or five rounds to two, for Bellew. And I, I just, I, maybe he got the fighters backwards on a scorecard or something. Maybe there was some sort of mistake he made. What an atrocious score. And obviously I was watching on the zone. I had the volume down, so I didn't really hear the commentary. But some of you guys have told me that the Sky Sports people were way, way up with Bellew as well. It, guys, that just shouldn't happen. You know, I, in, I'm not being unfair here. Those of you who follow me, my, I love my UK supporters. I love UK boxing. I do this podcast for a UK fight magazine, for Christ's sake, okay? I'm not being biased against the UK guys. You guys have heard me <laughs> routinely go after the HBO guys here in the States. You know, the Max Kellermans, Roy Jones, Andre Ward, Jim Lampley. I bash the shit out of those guys all the time. So this is not me beating up on the UK. But some of these scorecards we've seen in recent times, particularly with Eddie Hearn matchroom cards, and some of the Sky Sports cards and BT Sport cards we've seen have just been really, really bad. And there is no way Bellew was ahead after seven rounds, particularly after the punishment he took in the sixth and seventh rounds of that fight. I'm sorry, guys. That's just not what took place. Now, some of you guys are looking at the punch numbers, and I think you're being duped because when you look at power punching, according to CompuBox, both fighters landed 47 power punches. And uh, Usyk was slightly more accurate, but Bellew landed 32% of his power punches, Usyk 34%. But you see that they both landed 47 power punches. And you think, yeah, man, this is professional boxing. It's about power punching. And that means it's an even fight. But guys, jabs count too. I'm sick of this shit where, and we saw this with the Canelo-Golovkin thing. We saw it with Kovalev-Ward. We've seen it, we saw it with Joshua Klitschko. We've seen it with several fights in recent years where some judges just don't seem to give a shit about jabs. Because when you look at the jab category, Usyk dominated this fight. He threw more than twice the amount of jabs that Bellew threw. And he landed, let's see here, one, two, three, more than four times the amounts of jabs. He landed 65 jabs to Bellew's 14. When you have even power punching, and I think it's clear when you look at both men's face and the effect of the punches that even though both men landed the same amount of power punching, Usyk's power punches had a lot more pop on them, so it really wasn't even. But let's just say power punching even, okay. But then you look at the jabs. One guy threw twice as many, landed four times as many, 
twice as accurate. Bellew landed 11% of his jabs. There was nothing on them. Usyk landed 22%. So overall, Usyk lands 112 punches to Bellew's 61. So he lands twice the amount of punches because he dominated the jabbing category. That is what we saw when Golovkin fought Jacobs. It's what we saw when Golovkin fought Canelo in the rematch. Everybody gave Canelo so much credit for coming forward, and I give him credit for that, but he was being jabbed. He was being controlled by the jab in spots. Not as much as this. That fight was much, much closer. And I, you, know, I, you could totally say Golovkin and Canelo too was a draw. But in this fight, you had one fighter controlling the fight strictly off the jab. That is what I saw. That is what I saw in this fight. And then the power punching, the 6th, 7th, 8th round, he was really, really starting to get it done. Um, I told you guys Usyk started slow. He looked tight, and that's why I gave Bellio a couple early rounds. But, man, the writing was on the wall by the 5th and 6th round. You could just see who was in control. So that is why I had Usyk so far ahead. It's not me being biased against Bellew. It's not me sucking off Usyk or cucking for him, as some of you guys have said in the comments section to the live fight party video. It's not that. For the record, this morning I posted a, a poll on my Twitter page asking you guys how you scored it. And uh, go on there and vote. You know, I'll let you guys know because I'm going to leave it open for, for several days. But right now, it's really surprising, man. 50% of you had Usyk up. 25% of you had Bellew up, and 25% of you had it an even fight, which means after seven rounds, you had to have at least one round even to have an even fight after seven rounds. Man, guys, for, for half of you to have Bellew ahead or an even fight, that's just really, really surprising to me. And I know that a lot of fans like Bellew. He, he's, a, he's a guy that people just like. I understand that. But I'm telling you, that is not what I saw in the first seven rounds of that fight. I thought Usyk was clearly ahead. And judges, for one judge to have Bellew up five rounds to two, that license needs to be revoked and he needs to be suspended indefinitely. That is just a disgusting score. Either way, Usyk was on his way, I think, to winning because he was going to dominate the whole second half and probably shut out the second half of the fight if he didn't get the stoppage. But man, we, we can't see scorecards like that, guys. We just can't see it, okay? And we got to score fights round by round and not based on, wow, Bellew's doing better than I thought he would. Wow, Canelo's coming forward more than I thought he would. Wow, Ward got up from that knockdown and is starting to land some punches now. Wow, Joshua got up from that knockdown and is starting to land some occasional shots on Klitschko. That's not how you score a damn fight. You score a fight based on who's doing the better action for the bulk of the three minutes of the round. And you forget about the round that preceded it and every fight you've ever seen with both fighters before that fight. That's how you score. Anyway, for Bellew, showed amazing sportsmanship after this fight. Showed his real true personality. All the trash talk is just him building up the fight. Bellew is absolutely a sportsman, a great guy. And he has a huge, huge bright future in front of him. Whether he goes into movies, media, he calls fights ringside, he can do it all, man. He's got the personality for it, and he's just a good guy. And I thought he was so gracious in defeat. Uh, just really, really impressed me with his performance and the way he acted after the fight. For Usyk, 
huge brand building exercise for him over in the UK where he's going to continue to do business. I talked before uh, during the fight party. The, the winner of White Chisora 2, he could go after one of those guys. There's plenty of UK level heavyweights once he decides to move up to heavyweight that he can you know, test the waters with before going to AJ. He doesn't need to jump into the Joshua fight. Eddie Hearn and all the folks involved with that, they're going to dangle that carrot for a while and try to build it up. In the meantime, I'd love to see Usyk stick around that cruiserweight for one more year and at least long enough to fight the winner of season two of the World Boxing Super Series Cruiserweight Tournament. That's what I would like to see. Let's see what happens with him. For the record, he says he's going to take his time building up to that Joshua fight. I think that's the right thing to do. All right, let's go back over here to the US of A at the UIC Pavilion in Chicago. World Boxing Super Series action, the Cruiserweight Tournament I was just talking about. Christoph Glovaki wins a almost shutout type of decision uh, over Maxim Vlasov, wins the interim WBO Cruiserweight title. He is now 5-0 since the lone loss to Usyk in 2016. The scores were 115-112, 117-110, 118-110. I really thought this was a nine rounds to three, 10 rounds to two kind of win for Glovaki. I thought he clearly, clearly beat Vlasov like I told you guys he would. Now in the main event, some controversy. Marius Abredis improves to 25 and one with a unanimous decision on the cards in the 12 rounder over Armenian German Noel Gever. The scores were 114, 112, 115, 111, 116, 110. A lot of people disagreed with this scorecard. Now, for the record, I haven't seen the fight yet. I had some, some work going on and different things going on. I could not watch that fight Saturday, and I was working all day yesterday. have not been able to see it, so I can't tell you guys what I think. I will get to it. I'll watch it this week and let you guys know. I'm curious how you guys scored that fight, because a lot of people in media, in the boxing media, felt that Brady's lost this fight. People who I trust, generally, the way they score. So I'm curious how you guys had this. And I'm curious how Brady's, uh, if he clearly lost this fight, how he gets a decision like that uh, in Chicago, other than him being, he wasn't the house guy. I mean, I guess he was. He's the bigger name. And I know that the promotion would love to have a Usyk-Brady's rematch because their first fight was so good. But I just, I don't know, man. I, I got to go back and watch that fight and let you guys know. But I know a lot of people were pissed on Twitter about that decision. Monday morning, technically Sunday night here over in the States, but Monday over in Tokyo at the Kurokuen Hall in Tokyo, Japan, Tomoki Kameda improves the 36-2 and with 20 knockouts, wins a unanimous decision over Abigail Medina, who is of the Dominican Republic but based in Spain now, wins the interim WBC uh, Super Bantamweight title. So some Japan action. Those are always fun cards over there in Tokyo. That is it for last week, guys. Let's preview what we got coming up this week. This Friday, November 16th, we got a lot of stuff going on, man. Um, a Telemundo card from Kissimmee, Florida. And in the main event, Jonathan Gonzalez, 
a Bronx Puerto Rican who is 21-2-1 going up against Mexican Juan Alejo who is 24-5-1 in a 10-rounder and those are flyweights. Also Kissimmee native Bantamweight prospect Antonio Vargas who is 8-0 going up against TBA Tom Bob Anderson in the co-main. At the time I'm recording this it's TBA. Hopefully they get an opponent in the next couple days. Uh, for Vargas, who is of Kissimmee, Florida, uh, you know, it'd be good to have an opponent to market to that hometown crowd. Also, there is a Thompson boxing card with 130-pound prospect Michael Dutch over. Uh, and that, of course, will be in Cali. Guys, I talked about Thompson boxing earlier. You guys want to see me back on that broadcast, calling some more of those fights? They've said that they're going to get me back in that rotation for 2019. They're still trying to figure out all the logistics after Steve Kim had to leave. Please blow them up this week for me. Hit them up on Twitter, on their Facebook page. They are very, very active on social media. So they will see your tweets and your messages. Again, I will put all their links in a pinned comment on the YouTube video of this episode of The Neutral Corner. So make sure you hit them up for me, okay? But Friday, the big card is in Oklahoma City at the Chesapeake Energy Arena, and this will be top rank on ESPN, and I think that this is going to be a damn good double header. I really, really do. In the main event, Maurice Hooker versus Alex Saucedo, and for Hooker, this will be the first defense of the WBO 140-pound title. They took off Terry Flanagan in Manchester this past June. Took it off him by split decision. So Hooker is 24-0-3 out of Dallas. Saucedo 28-0 out of Oklahoma City, a native of Mexico. Hooker's a little older, more experienced, more mature, 29 years old. Saucedo only 24. Uh, he fought, Saucedo did, in this same arena back in June, scored a TKO 7 win, so this will be his second fight there at the Chesapeake Energy Arena. For Hooker, I believe it will be his first time fighting up there in Oklahoma. So those of you in the States, you know that there is a sporting rivalry between uh, Texas and Oklahoma. I know like college football, it's huge when, whenever teams from those states play each other. You got Dallas, you got Oklahoma City. I think that the Dallas fans, you're gonna have them travel up to OKC. I think the OKC fans are gonna be hyped up because this is Dallas OKC in the main event. I think the fan atmosphere is going to be a lot of fun. Now when this fight was first signed, I favored Hooker because he's just a little more skilled, uh, a slicker fighter. <clears throat> and more experienced, you know, going over to the UK, fighting Terry Flanagan, who is a very experienced, uh, very good quality prize fighter, and getting that narrow win on the road was huge for him. And Saucedo doesn't have anything like that on his resume. However, Hooker has had a lot of legal issues. He's had, uh, I think he was a drunk driving incident where he ended up plowing into a cop car of all things. And his management, Got him through all that, ready for this fight. But I remember when they were negotiating this fight, and Saucedo, I think, was the mandatory, and that's how all this came up. I think that they were trying to get that fight in Dallas. But they really didn't have a leg to stand on because of all the legal issues and everything else I talked about. And that leads to money issues and everything. So purse bid process and all that, you know, putting the deal together, uh, top rank, 
they just had more negotiating power. And they got this fight over in OKC, where now I think Saucedo is going to pull this thing off. And, and I favor him. He might be down on the cards and grind out a late stoppage or grind out a very narrow points win on the cards to grab this WBO super lightweight title in his hometown. And I think that's going to make for great, great TV. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I love that this is on ESPN. It's smart business, top rank. You look at, they got Ramirez up in Northern California. They got Saucedo in Oklahoma City. They got Crawford in Omaha. They are doing all these regional fights with these guys. It makes so much sense. It's so intelligent and it plays well on ESPN. It really, really plays well on ESPN. So they know what they're doing, guys. And this is going to be fun. Don't miss this. But also don't miss this co-main. Check this out. And the co-main, Igadigis Kavaliauskas, the Lithuanian who now trains and lives in Oxnard, California, 20-0, 16 knockouts, the mean machine they call him, going up against Nicaraguan Roberto Aliaza, who is 17-0 with 13 knockouts. I know Roberto Aliaza pretty up close and personal because I called his last fight, which was the headliner of a Thompson boxing card back in May. I was literally ringside with Beto Duran. Call, actually, Beto Duran had to leave and fly to New York, so I called the main event by myself. A couple of fighters uh, got in the ring with me and called the action. But um, I got an up-close and personal look at Ardiaza. He's a taller, longer fighter than Kavaliauskas. Good-looking prospect. And with the mean machine, there have been times where he really has looked like the mean machine. And then there's been times where he's kind of looked like the complacent machine, where he's just kind of going through the motions and has one speed to everything he does. For Aliaza, based on what I saw, he can switch up speeds. He punches down with leverage, very, very good length and pretty good stamina. You know, went the distance in his last fight and looked like he has the stamina to go late into a fight. I love this co-main. Don't just tune into this card for the main event. Watch this co-main. It may just steal the damn show. It could be a dud. Could be a dud. We could see both guys jabbing each other to a decision. That could happen. But a fight could break out here, and it could be an interesting contrast of styles. And I can't pick a damn winner. I can't pick a winner. Uh, you have to maybe favor Kavaliauskas really, really tightly on the cards, if it goes the distance, he is the top-ranked fighter. This is a top-ranked card. He does have a little more experience fighting bigger names on the road. He's traveled all over and fought, guys. He's fought on big cards before. For Adiaza, this will be the biggest card, the biggest event he has fought on. And that might get to him. So I slightly favor Kavaliauskas by decision in this one. Uh, but I, I really, really think the Nicaraguan... Look, man, people from Nicaragua are freaking tough. Think of a fighter from Nicaragua that was a pussy. Can you? I can't. I think he's going to give the me machine a hell of a fight, and I'm really looking forward to that. Also on the undercard, Cletus Selden, the Hebrew hammer. Remember him? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, getting back in the ring after uh, the fallout there, that last HBO fight where he got exposed. And look, no disrespect to him, man. He gets up in the ring and does his thing, but he was not an HBO-level fighter. 
so he's getting back in the ring there. Also, Trey Lippe Morrison, Tommy Morrison's kid, getting in the ring there. And the fans there in OKC will love that shit. Okay, so that's just Friday. We also have some action on Saturday the 17th in Mexicali, Baja, California, Mexico. Be in sports, Espanol, Diego de la Hoya makes his homecoming, his first time as a pro fighting in his hometown of Mexicali, going up against Venezuelan Edison Perez. This is a 10-round fight, 122-pounders. Diego De La Hoya, 21-0, really good-looking prospect. I think uh, Golden Boy's done a very, very good job building him up the right way. He's gone on the road. Uh, he's fought you know, some, I don't want to say tough names, but for, for a prospect-level guy, absolutely. Some good brand-building uh, tough names to build up your, uh, your resume on and get really, really good rounds in. So, yeah, for that level, absolutely he's facing tough names. Now, I don't know much about Edison Perez. I think this is probably a bit of a layup. It's in Mexicali. This is more for him to have that homecoming. And you know what? He stamped that passport. He's been fighting all over the damn place. He's earned it. So that should be fun on being Sports Espanol. And in Kansas, Mulvane, Kansas, in the Kansas Star Arena, it is a Matchroom USA card in association with several other promoters on the zone. On this card, Jarrell Big Baby Miller, Gabriel Rosado, Brandon Bam Bam Rios, Clarissa Shields, and Nico Hernandez, all fighting pretty much layups. Uh, actually, Rosado is not fighting a layup. Gabriel Rosado, the middleweight, he has the toughest assignment of the night. He is going up against Luis Arias, who I think is a Dominican fighter. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I believe he's a Dominican fighter. Correct me if I'm wrong. He's from somewhere in the Caribbean. But you guys might remember his name. He has only one pro loss, and that was against Daniel Jacobs. He took Daniel Jacobs the distance in his last fight, had moments in there, clearly lost the fight, but he took Jacobs the distance, and that experience, uh, you know, really, really just invaluable experience for him. Going up against Rosado, who just bleeds as soon as you touch him, that is going to be a very, very close competitive fight. To me, that's the best fight on this card. Big Baby Miller, who is 22-0-1, is fighting a 6'5 Romanian, Bogdan Dinu, who is 18-0. It will be Dinu's first fight in the USA. He's fought in a few different countries. I want to say Canada, Romania. First fight in the USA. So for Big Baby Miller, I told you guys, you know, Eddie Hearn signing him. The plan there is to keep Big Baby Miller undefeated in matchups like this. He's had opportunities to fight for portions of titles, but different things have gotten in the way. Uh, there's been different reasons why the fights haven't materialized. But Hearn wants to keep him undefeated. Keep him. He's a big trash-talking New Yorker. Big black dude looks the part, quote-unquote, and perfect fodder for Anthony Joshua to make his American debut against. So at some point in 2019, expect Anthony Joshua to fight Jarrell Miller in New York City at Madison Square Garden, and that is going to be the fight that introduces AJ to the American audience. I fully expect we will see that in 2019, and Miller will stay undefeated until then. Uh, Nico Hernandez, 
Those of you guys who read Ring Magazine, you saw my piece on Mr. Hernandez uh, back in, what was it, last September? I'm sorry, it, yeah, it wasn't September, was it? It was, yeah, I'm looking at it right here on my wall. It was the September issue of Ring Magazine. Um, you saw my, my feature piece on Nico Hernandez. His promoter is involved in this promotion with Matchroom. Obviously, Matchroom's the lead promoter, but this arena here in Mulvane, Texas, uh, Hernandez has fought several times there before. So his hometown fans will be out there making for a fun atmosphere. And uh, Rios originally is from that part of the country. People think Rios, they think California. That's where he's fought most of his pro career and trained out there and everything. But he's originally from that part of the country. So he's going to have a lot of hometown fans as well. So all things considered, you know, I get why they're doing that card there. But Jarrell Miller, Gabe Rosado, Clarissa Shields? I don't know. I mean, th these are names. You know, these are names. But they're kind of in these, uh, you know, feature fights. Except for Rosado, man. Rosado, Arias, that is going to be a good competitive fight. So anyway, if you got the zone... You're getting boxing every damn week. And you're getting cards like this, which have, you know, names on it. You got prospects. You got former champs. You got guys who are about to challenge for titles pretty soon. You got current champions like Shields. You got a little bit of everything on this card for free, quote unquote, on the zone. Well, for $15. So I just, the, the zone app so far has been a slam dunk for American boxing fans who are ordering it. Anyway, guys, remember your fee this week, all right? Blow up Thompson Boxing. Tell them you want Montero back on air. And uh, I'll see you at the fights.